0: Alright, hello and- Welcome to this uh, special live edition of a great conversation about accessibility today. I'm really excited about this topic. Uh, Accessibility overlays like accessibility come up inside the group constantly. Uh, I just regurgitate information that other people tell me, so I'm glad today to have an expert here to kind of help get us settled straight. Before we jump into that though, uh, since we are live streaming here, I tried to check everything on my end, but if you're watching live here, would you drop a comment and let me know that you can see and hear everything? That would be super helpful for me. just to make sure uh, that peace of mind before we get going. Also, if you're watching live, if you go ahead and hit that like button, I hate asking gross questions like that, but it really does help uh, a ton. Uh, It just takes a second, just a little click on the like button that will help us out uh, tremendously. All right. So let's let's jump in here and talk about this today. So we're going to be talking about uh, accessibility overlays, kind of the good, the bad, the ugly, and I have Colleen Gratzer here, who is our accessibility expert in the group, one of our accessibility experts mm-hmm. in the group, and she's gonna, uh, she's done some rants on this before, so I'm, I'm excited to hear what she has to say about this. So, uh, before we jump in, Colleen, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Kyle. It's great to be here, and I'm always ready to rant about overlays. <laughs> My background is I started in accessibility in 2016 with InDesign accessibility and also website accessibility. So I've been doing that ever since, and it's become a really great niche for me. And there's a ton to learn in the space and lots of different specialties in it. And um, it's, yeah, it's a great niche. So um, the other thing is that I'm a member of the IAAP, which is the um, International Association of Accessibility Professionals. And also, um, I've given training at the U.S. Department of the Interior on InDesign Accessibility. And then I also have courses on accessible design and also on web accessibility. And I'm coming out with another course on InDesign Accessibility and PDFs.
0: So what you're saying is basically you're not qualified to have this conversation whatsoever. well that that is all super impressive and you're right this is a a fantastic uh niche to be in i think it's becoming more and more important all the time i feel like just in the few years that we've been doing this in the admin bar like the talk about accessibility has really really grown in the last six to twelve months it's gotten uh, a lot more attention um you know it it's one of those topics that doesn't seem to excite people as much as some of the other things we might talk about however Mm -hmm. um it's so important you know i just want to keep having these conversations i feel i feel totally overwhelmed by accessibility if i'm 100 percent honest but i feel like if i can Mm -hmm. just make one little improvement every week or every month at least i'm on the right track and hopefully we can continue to do events like this in the group that help people out Mm -hmm. All right. So fantastic. So accessibility overlays, I guess, before we uh, talk about what's good and what's bad about them, why don't we, uh, why don't we define what an accessibility overlay is? So there's things like accessibility, which I think is probably the most popular one, but how would you define like an accessibility overlay?
1: Great question. So first of all, and I've been asked this before, like somebody asked me, they saw on my websites where I have a little widget on the side where it's just for contrast and like toggling high contrast mode and then also just toggling font size and that's not an overlay that's just like it's just a little widget that does something that even the browser already does but what an overlay is when we talk about overlays is those are the widgets that come up there's a little icon usually at the bottom right of the screen and then there's like a menu that pops up and it says oh you've got you know you can toggle high contrast or you can Change font size, or you can, you know, do all these things. It's like a, a menu of options, and it's huge and kind of obnoxious. <laughs> um, but what the other thing that defines an overlay is that it's something that gets installed, installed by copying and pasting like a couple lines of JavaScript, and then they say, "Poof! Now your site's going to be accessible after we scan it, like a couple days after we scan it." And so that's what an overlay is. It's and yes, there's plenty of them out there. <laughs>
0: Well, I have to say the the premise of this is really enticing because accessibility is difficult. It's expensive. You have to you either either have to spend a lot of time learning how to do it and then figuring out how to actually like learning what needs to be done, then actually figuring out how to do all that stuff, or hiring somebody to do it. Accessibility experts are not cheap. Uh, it's not a cheap thing to get fixed. So the idea of some kind of silver bullet. I install this thing. I pay them a little bit of money, and it fixes all the problem. is really, really enticing, and I can see why so many agencies would be like, "Yes, this is the answer I mm-hmm. need." Boom, off my list, and done. And I think, uh, you know, I don't want to pick on Accessibility. I've never had any um, interaction with them whatsoever, but they're the one that comes up the most in the group, mm-hmm. and I feel like they must have a really good marketing department because it seems like the people that. The agencies that I've talked to that have gotten on calls with accessibility walk away from those meetings really convinced that it is uh, a great solution. So, um, before we talk about maybe some of the bad things, is, is there any way that these uh, these overlays are more helpful than paying no attention to accessibility whatsoever? Like, do you have anything no. good to say about them?
1: No. <laughs> Nothing. No. No, I don't. I really don't. Um, I think there's so many, I, there are so many issues and they really all outweigh any potential benefit. They cause, they even cause more problems than they can solve. So, I mean, I have a list of that of things that I can cover with the problems because there's that many of them.
0: Yeah. I, I figure that's probably where we'll spend most of our time here. But so, I guess the, the point I was trying to make is, okay, if our choices pay zero mm-hmm. attention to accessibility, we know nothing about it and we do nothing to fix any accessibility problems. That's one choice or the other choice is just install one of these overlays. You're saying doing nothing is probably better than installing the overlay?
1: Well, not doing nothing, what I would suggest is making sure there's an accessibility statement on the site. So, if if the choice is between like fixing like having to fix things on the site right away versus like an overlay like no i would just say forget working on the site right now and put up an accessibility statement and then talk about that your client is going to you know if that's their intention that they're going to be you know addressing the accessibility of the site personally i think that's better
0: okay that's interesting
1: i think that's i think that's like the the first step
0: all right, so let's, uh, that, that covers all the good things about accessibility overlays. <laughs> so let's just dive into the bad things. So uh, what is your rant about accessibility overlays? Why, why do you say they cause more problems than they actually solve?
1: Okay, so first off, like it can look impressive to go to a site and maybe see all these menu options and oh, that looks cool, look at all these things it can do. But that is actually all functionality that should already be available if a website is coded properly and when accessibility is considered. So we've got the design aspect of things, right? With color and contrast. And then there's also the technical side of things. So when the site is coded properly, the proper tags are used and is clean code, it validates. And then you're, you're considering the accessible design, you know, that that menu then is like just redundant. It's redundant. And somebody who is used to using a certain browser, or they're used to using a keyboard instead of a mouse, you know, they might have, they, they want to use that. They don't want to use that interface. And they also, you know, they also could use accessibility tools that are built into the browser or built into their operating system. They don't need this other menu served to them that's now changing how they're getting around a website. So it's kind of like saying, okay, well, Kyle, you're gonna go to my website, but you you know what? You can't use a mouse anymore. You're gonna have to use the keyboard, you know? But what if things on it aren't keyboard accessible? You're not gonna be able to use it properly, right? So it causes tons and tons of usability issues. But the other thing too, is that it can't detect most issues because it's an automated tool. And any kind of automated tool is really only going to be able to detect about 30% of issues, give or take, you know? So there's, they can detect 30%, let's say, but then they purport to fix issues. Well, of those issues that they can even find, they can't fix correctly a smaller portion of that, you know? So there's a lot of, there's like the majority of issues, 70% or so of issues have to be checked manually and the, the tool is gonna be able to make determinations about what it needs to make. So some examples of that would be like alt text. Can an automated tool tell that there is alt text? Yeah, it can, but it cannot tell if that's proper alt text. It cannot tell if that image should even have alt text because maybe it's a decorative image and shouldn't have any. It can't tell whether the reading order of the page is correct. Because how sighted users, how we would read a page, you know, top to bottom, left to right, that's not necessarily how somebody using a screen reader or other assistive device is gonna get handed that content. And then on top of that, there's the tab order. So if you're tabbing with a keyboard, the tab order needs to be in the proper order, but that's not gonna be able to check that. And then let's say you have a bunch of click here's, you know, all all over the page, for the link text. Well, then someone who's using assistive technology is gonna say, okay, well, are those are those 10 click here's, are they going to the same destination or are they all different destinations? And what are they taking me to? Okay, so then there's also proper tags. Well, we often see our clients love to do this, right? <laughs> is they love to format body text as a heading. Hmm. And so, but vice versa, right? You might have paragraphs that really should be a list items. So there's lots of different things like that, where there's the proper tags aren't being used and it's not gonna be able to say whether or not it's the appropriate tag. Okay, then there's also lack of form labels for forms or unclear form labels, giving some kind of added instruction on how to fill out those form fields. And then there's also use of ARIA, which I see all the time misused or so much added and it actually can cause more issues. But an automated tool. Okay. So if it can't detect any of these things, if these, you know, so it's like, if it can't detect those, then what, what is it going to be able to fix and how is it going to fix it properly? You know? So there's a lot of things that just, it it just can't address. So it can't say your site's fully accessible. And one of the things that they do try to say is well, you install this and prove your site's accessible, and it's gonna be 100% accessible. Or they, they might say it's 100% accessible for like this price. Maybe it's like up to whatever, 75% or 50% accessible for the slower price. But it, it can't say that because it can't even detect the majority of accessibility issues on the site, you know? And yeah, so it's a huge problem with that. And I think that people that know very little about accessibility, they're yeah like they have real these overlay companies have great marketing and it's like so if you don't know enough about accessibility and and know how to like go around and test a site a little bit then yeah they're gonna they can easily talk you into these things you know so there are tons of issues um they also don't affect documents you know if Mm -hmm. you've got pdfs on a site which we find all the time PDFs on a site, Word documents on a site, if the site has to be made accessible, so do the documents, you know, and it's not going to do anything for those. So it's it's a false sense of security. And people think, oh, I'm going to be protected if I sign up for this service. But it, it, it's, it doesn't work like that.
0: Yeah. And the, and the protection thing, I think, is where this becomes really sticky. I'll, I'll add a disclaimer in here, which I'll make sure to add in the text of this <laughs> yeah. as well. Neither of us are lawyers. So uh, if when it comes to any kind of like legal questions uh, and a good time to mention, if y'all do have questions, go ahead and drop those in the chat. I'm watching the chat now and we're going to do some Q&A towards the end of this. Uh, legal 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 questions we're probably not going to be able to answer, but I think that's where I think that's where a lot of the anxiety around accessibility comes from is like this liability standpoint, right? And Mm -hmm. it being so unclear on what really needs to be done and what is good to be done just because you want to help the majority of people using your website, you Mm -hmm. know? So uh, trying to draw that distinction is difficult, especially for us who are one, not lawyers and two, not accessibility experts, right? So the idea that uh, there's this silver bullet that you can install and poof, all your problems go away is right. is super enticing, right? But like you're saying, it's only going to catch a fraction of the things. Uh, and then in that case, you might be even causing more problems. So um, I think one of the most interesting things I've done, and um, sadly, I'll admit that I didn't do this until recently, like mm-hmm. in the last couple of weeks, is watch somebody who's let's say, for instance, blind, using a screen reader, go through a website. It is so Mm -hmm. eye-opening to just watch how they maneuver through it and then what's actually being read out loud and how confusing Mm -hmm. it can be when you have, you know, click here links and things like that or icon links, you know, icon buttons that are links to something but it doesn't say what it is. Um, So Mm -hmm. that's definitely something I would recommend everybody. You can find YouTube videos of of people demonstrating this. Uh, I would definitely recommend you go out and do. So um, it seems like there's been controversy over these overlays, I guess would be a a good way to put it. So (laughs) do you think for the people that are are thinking about accessibility because of the liability aspect of it, um, what do you think they're, they're, they're uh, going after incorrectly with choosing one of these overlays. Do you think there's a false sense of protection in that, or does that offer any kind of protection?
1: Yeah, it's a false sense of protection. Um, the other thing is that a lot of people are seeing accessibility as like this pesky legal problem and not like, hey, this is a great way for me to attract more of my audience because one in five people has a disability. So if you're designing a website and you're not addressing accessibility, you're pretty much saying to your client, I'm going to build a website for you, but it's not going to, you know, reach hundred percent of users. It's only going to reach 80%. Are you okay with that? You know? So the other thing too, though, is it, it also can become a branding issue. It can become a branding issue because if you're addressing, not addressing accessibility then that can cause a bad reputation and people we know how people are with reviews on google and yelp and facebook and things like that so when you address accessibility it's also going to cause people to say good things about you but unfortunately with overlays that can actually make people make sites a target and give a bad reputation so there's that too but also from a branding perspective a visual branding perspective it can give you less control over the branding Mm -hmm. You know so like when i was talking earlier about what if it can detect so many issues which ones can it actually fix correctly well what if it's going to what color is it going to change something to if there's a contrast issue is that color going to be in that brand color palette you know what i'm saying so yeah there's, and, there's and that for
0: too. for us that are picky designers that's important too if it, if if, right. if you're going to install on something on your site that changes the look and feel of it you probably want to be able to have some kind of control over that
1: Right. And then the other thing with, with the part of that answer to that question is like with the terms of service, they also say that you have to have like really clean and proper code that validates before you install it. So, but they're also telling you to waive a claim, usually the right to make a claim in their terms of service. So it's like, it really is a false sense of security because you can go to their own sites, you can go to their customer sites and you can see that they don't work. And that's just even running an automated checker. You can tell that there's still issues on the site, but they're saying Wait a minute, we're fixing issues, but you're not even fixing the automated issues that are showing up in the automated checker, (laughs) you know, so you can you can see, you can see that right there. But and you can see in their terms of service what they say about, you know, all of that. So it's false sense of security all around.
0: Yeah, I I can imagine that's that's a really good point is. I've obviously never read their terms of service, just like any terms of service. But I imagine if I get one of those letters in the mail that says, hey, Kyle, your website, uh, we found issues with it. We're going to sue you. And I have one of these overlays installed uh, and I go to them. I doubt they're going to say, hey, don't worry about it. We take care of all of this for you. We completely got you. I, I really doubt that's going to be what happens. I'm sure there's you're signing away your rights for them to represent anything at all. Uh, in, right. in and they've, and
1: they've, they've been involved in lawsuits. So that's the other proof, right. you know?
0: Okay. So uh, w- what would you say your recommendation is for the people watching that already have one of these installed on their own site or client sites? What should they do right right now listening to this?
1: Okay. Well, I don't know what their legal risk might be because, sure. you know, there's, there's the legal risk. There's how many people are getting into the site and, and messing with it. I, I mean, there's so many things to consider, but I mean... My advice, and I'm not a lawyer again, (laughs) I don't play one here. (laughs) So I would put up an accessibility statement and and state the commitment that the client has to accessibility again, if that's their intention. And then what standard are they looking to achieve? Usually like nowadays it's 2.1 AA WCAG 2.1 AA and you know, the steps that they're going to take to do that. And I would also go and talk to the client and say, you know, I've got some new information here and I think this is really important and we need to talk about this and then start looking at okay, what issues are on the site without the overlay being on it, right? right. What are what are the highest priority highest traffic pages? Let's take a look at those and address some issues even with an automated checker. I mean, like I said, automated checkers whether it's an overlay or you know, automated checker, like wave or something, they can only detect so many issues, like a a smaller portion of issues, but they're a good place to start to find these issues. But it's definitely important for clients to understand what they're getting into because, especially if you're the one recommending it to them because you're supposed to be their web expert. And if you're recommending that they do this or they, they do that, and now you're recommending an overlay and something happens, you're probably going to get fired. They're going to be like, I took your advice for this, you know, and a lot of people are reselling these things. Mm -hmm. A lot of developers resell them. So it's like, I don't know if there's, you know, what kind of responsibility legally somebody might have with that, but they're not going to be happy about that. You know, and as web developers, you know, we talk about SSL, we talk about privacy policies all the time, but we should be talking more about this and we should be talking about why this is not the way to go and why fixing the site which is called remediation why remediation is a better investment
0: you yeah, know
1: because the other oh, go ahead
0: no you're fine go ahead and finish
1: the other thing about the overlays is they're not addressing anything on the site because they're not affecting the code right so it's mm-hmm. like I, I like this analogy if you have a leaky pipe in your kitchen are you going to just let the water leak all over the floor and continue mopping it up with towels or are you gonna fix the pipe? What do you wanna spend your time and money on, right? So it's like, I feel like with an overlay, you're just spending money on, a, on the leaky pipe and mopping up the floor with the towels. But when you remediate and fix something, now you have that strong foundation and then you can monitor things on an ongoing basis. You can get your clients trained in accessibility so that things that go from that point forward are accessible.
0: And I think what's so hard about that too is it. I, your your analogy is well taken, uh, but unlike the <laughs> leaky sink where you can look at the pipe and see the hole in it and the water gushing out, accessibility is such a spectrum of things. You know, I could have you and three other uh, accessibility experts audit a site and you'd probably all come back with a lot of the similar issues, but you'd probably mm-hmm. all have some different ones because you have a different yes. perspective. You've learned different yes. things. You're considering different things. There's just such a huge spectrum. So that that idea of this being fully compliant is is really, um, you know, that's that's a hard one for us to understand. Now, I I just did an event with uh, somebody you you probably know, Amber Hines, uh, mm-hmm. in our private table mastermind groups, uh, and she kind of equated it to, you know, like, you um, you know, I was talking about this idea of accessibility never being finished, never being 100 percent compliant. Right. I said, Well, is, is your SEO ever 100 percent finished? I'm like, of course not. SEO is something you're always just working on and there's right. more things you can implement and you learn something new and you implement that. And it's very much the same with accessibility, which I thought was a, mm-hmm. a, a good analogy there. So, OK, so if we're if we're not going to install uh overlays, or if we already installed one and we're going to take it off and put in an accessibility statement. uh, And I do have some questions about accessibility statements that we'll get Mm -hmm. to here in a bit. What are the first steps we need to take as far as figuring out what those issues are? Could you give us kind of like a high level overview of what you'd recommend we go do first?
1: Yeah, so like I said the automated checkers is a good place to start, but sometimes what happens is you get a false positive and then it's like you don't want to spend hours trying to fix an error that's really a false positive. And you're not you're not going to know that right off the bat, right? But there are some things like contrast where you're going to be able to well some of those some can be false positives if you have like an image in the background and you don't have the background color set for instance. Uh, but but the other thing you could do is to get an estimate for an accessibility audit. And I like I do audits and what I do is I will go through the site on the front end, unless I know that there's like landing pages or something that have to be audited. And then I will just look for different types of page types, like templates, Hmm. like homepage, a contact page that has a form, like the archive blog page, a search page, things like that. I'll look for the different types of things that are going to be on different templates that might have different functionality, different types of content, audio, video, images, all that stuff. And then I provide a price on that. So when you get an audit, you want to, you're not usually getting an audit for the entire site. You can get an audit for the entire site, but to audit every single page is a lot more costly, obviously. So you can just have an audit done that is going to be for so many different types of page templates, or it could be just the top trafficked pages. It doesn't have to be the entire site, but somebody is going to have to go through then and fix those issues. Right? So, there's like fixing those issues. There's also somebody's going to probably have to go through every single page and go through the content and fix it, you know? And I've done that for clients and it's like, that's a lot of work, you know, go through 80 pages on a site and you're literally like reading everything and and changing how things are set up and changing like heading tags and link text and things like that. So definitely like you could do your own like a little automated audit, but then you could have like a, a professional do an audit.
0: Sure. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, any of those things where, you know, this part of your website affects uh, a ton of pages. So, for instance, your header. Well, your header is going to be on basically every page of your website. So that's a really important thing to make sure is accessible or your footer because it's on every page. Or like you said, if you're using, you know, you have a website with 500 blog posts and they're all using a single blog post template. Well, then that's a really important thing to go ahead and fix. So you can look at some of these things and say, you know, what is... What is touching the most amount of things so Mm uh yeah so i I guess the continuing education part of it's huge too like i'm not i've i've accepted the fact i'm not going to know everything about accessibility ever and i'm probably not even going to know a whole lot about it this month or this year but if i continue to make some progress on that obviously you carry that knowledge into each new build and you can avoid some of those mistakes that you have that you might have made uh which, which is huge for it so um as far as the the remediation part most everybody watching Mm -hmm. this is a web developer uh of some level some of us fairly new and you you know really relying on page builders like elementor or oxygen Mm -hmm. or beaver builder or whatever it may be some people that are more old school and can jump in there and get in the code as a general sense accessibility issues. Are these really hard, complex things to solve as far as making them more accessible or making them accessible? Are these generally pretty easy fixes once you know what to fix?
1: A lot of accessibility fixes have to do with proper code, proper tags. So the more that you know HTML tags and you know what they mean and when to use them, what they're for, like you know not to use a heading tag for a paragraph. You know, you you know to use a list tag for lists, things like that. There's all kinds of semantic tags. And I find like doing audits that there's, there are like, especially with people using page builders, they don't really need to know and understand code anymore to build websites. I come from a place of, I learned HTML in college in 95. So I come from way back before there was any of that, (laughs) but the more that you know HTML, the better it is. So it's not that it's, it's not that it's harder to do. It's just that you just need to use proper website practices, development practices, and understand that code and also understand how different users use a site. Like most people are focusing, like they think about like screen readers. So they're like, oh, let me test the site with a screen reader. And it's like, if you don't know how to use a screen reader, it's really hard to just jump in and turn it on and get started. Yeah, you know? I tried. And then, I couldn't understand and you it at all. How, and you better know how to turn it off before you ever turn it on. <laughs> so otherwise, I'll just keep talking. You know, so there's different things like that. It's not that it's hard stuff. It's just that it's new stuff. And it's just, it really should be just taught with web development, really. I mean, it just, it's part of web development.
0: Sure, sure. But, but the majority of people, at least in our circle, there's 5,000 people in our group. And I can say mm-hmm. at least in that small subset of people who develop websites, most of them with WordPress, a lot of them don't go to any kind of school or get taught web right. design. They open right. up the tools and watch YouTube videos and things like that. So right. it's not a traditional like model mm-hmm. of going to school and learning all these things and coming in. I, get, right. I guess one other question I wanted to kind of touch on before we get to some of these questions. And I do appreciate a bunch of you are putting questions in the chat. I'm grabbing them all and we'll get to them. Um, so you talked about so much of this being reliant on like the HTML code on the website. And mm-hmm especially using page builders we're not really touching tons of the html as we're doing right. it so much is already built in to the theme or mm-hmm. to what the page builder is outputting so um how much of a challenge are we adding on to our uh goals of being better about accessibility with the tools that we choose and how conscious do we need to be about the accessibility of the tools we're using to build websites
1: Well, you definitely have to be concerned about the tools and not just the page builders, but also the plugins. Anytime you add a new plugin to a site, it's like you want to test that for accessibility. How is this going to affect what's already on the site? How is this going to affect the functionality I'm adding to the site? And that's very important. So you have to be very cognizant of anything that you're adding or changing on the site, whether it's in the code or through the page builder or through a plugin or, or, or a script, anything like that. Um, like for instance, Mailer Lite, their forms, I use them on my website. I have to like go in and do hand code all of them. I can't just use the short codes because they don't add the labels properly to the site so, or to the forms. So I have to do a lot of hand coding there and it's a pain, <laughs> you know, but once I've got one form done, I just copy and paste that one. And I change out the numbers of whatever the code for the individual forms that I need to. So there's things like that. Um, page builders do have some issues. Um, there, it, It's all different. You just but once you, like, if you get up to speed with accessibility a little bit, then you're able to inspect the code and see how this page builder in particular will treat something and how it tags it. Um, so it's just, it's good to be aware of those things, but no site is like ever going to be hundred percent accessible at any given times. So that's why I say also like the accessibility statement is really important because you, it can acknowledge where there are issues. And you can acknowledge that you're in the process of fixing certain things, you know, or, you know, so it's, you're, you're restating that you're working on it. And, you know, again, I'm not a lawyer, but, you know, most, most of the lawsuits are like, they're going after things that sites that have like so many issues that are pretty easy to find. And if you're showing that you're making an effort, you're making yourself less of a target. Sure. You know, if you're saying I'm committed to accessibility and hey, we know there's some issues, I mean, I still have some issues on my sites, you know, that I need to fix, but I'm not like a PHP developer. I mean, I can only do so much. So, I mean, I've gone in and like, I keep updating it when I'm fixing something, you know, to, to show that I'm still doing this because I, you know, I don't want to look like a hypocrite, (laughs) you know, so you really do have to pay attention to all of that. It's not to say you can't use those things, but you need to be cognizant of them. But if it's going to present it, like if you're going to go throw a plugin on a client's site and they have to abide by accessibility laws, they can't just throw up a plugin and go, well, the plugin wasn't accessible. So, you know, too bad.
0: Right. And I think, you know, I think most of us are pretty used to thinking about that when we install plugins or page builders or all that when we think about performance because we're like okay do I want to add this because I don't want to add something that's going to make my site go slower so uh, Mm -hmm. you know it's kind of another thing you need to think about as you're installing all these different things on your your website we're used to thinking about that as in terms of uh, or at least I am in terms of performance because Mm -hmm. that's something I know more about and I'm uh, worried about and all those kinds of things. So you know you, right. you gotta consider how that's gonna affect things too as far as accessibility. So we do have, uh, you were just talking about accessibility statements and we do have a mm-hmm. question from Mark in here uh, about uh, accessibility statements. I think this might be a long one to answer but maybe you can give us the, the <laughs> overview here. Uh, he asked, what uh, does a good accessibility statement cover or say?
1: Okay, so on an accessibility statement, you wanna put a date, you wanna put a target date that you wanna have the site you know, made accessible. And you can talk about the commitment to accessibility, why it's important if you want. Um, you can say what standard you're trying to conform to. So like I said earlier, that could be WCAG 2.1 AA. You could then mention Ident- like identify issues on the site and list them out. You could also then say things that uh, you're working on fixing. And you know as you do them, go and update the statement. That's why I said, put a date on it so people can see that it's current. Because some people might come back and, and look at it again. So you never know. And um, then you can state like you're gonna have an audit done. You could state that. You could also state once you have that audit done, that you're in the process of remediating the site. And you can also, you know, talk about any kind of training that the staff might be doing, anyone who's adding content to the site, if they're doing any training. So you can just add in, like, there's really... You can add in, like, as, as much as you as you want to. There, there are some st- statements that are just, like, really, really short and really brief, but you can put in, you know, as much about the client's you know willingness to do this especially if they have an audience that they're serving who has disabilities if it's it's that much more important to them it's not like oh it's just a legal thing it's like now we want to make sure we're serving our audience properly so we really want to address these certain things but that goes back to too like what you were talking about what to address first if you have an audience that you're serving that's full of people with visual disabilities you'd want to make sure that you get address those things first you know
0: yeah, and I mean, I guess part of that, what goes into the accessibility statement, who are we writing the accessibility statement for? Are we writing it for somebody who has some sort of uh, disability that's having trouble with the website, so they navigate down to this accessibility statement, read through it, and figure out what to do? I think one thing you didn't mention in there was like some contact information, which I see on all these. Oh, yes, contact statements. information, yes. Right, So, so are we writing that accessibility statement for that visitor who is having trouble and is looking for guidance on it. Are we writing this accessibility statement as like uh, a legal cover my ass type document or are we doing a little bit of both?
1: It's a little bit of both, but plain English is fine. You don't have to go to a lawyer to write one. I mean, it might be good to have a lawyer review it, you know, especially like depending on your legal risk, right, especially if you're required by law for to meet accessibility laws. So you could do that, but just write it for the end user in plain English.
0: Perfect. Um, I'm gonna shoehorn one of my own questions in here based (laughs) off what you just said. Based on if you're required by law to be accessible, tell me more about that because it seems like uh, with the recent things I've read that anybody in the United States pretty much needs to be uh, compliant with accessibility standards. So is that the case or how do we find out if we need to be compliant or not?
1: Well, in the United States, the two main laws are section 508, and that applies to government and government contractors. Uh, I have a lot of nonprofit clients who get federal funding through grants, so they usually have to meet section 508. I also have had clients who not only have to meet section 508, but a California state guideline, which goes by ABA 34, and then there's also the ADA Title III, which is it applies to some public businesses but private businesses and i think some government might fall under there but title three is where we're always hearing about the lawsuits so ada title three so you'd have to find out like if your client falls under either one of those categories
0: what, and about then, a, what about a generic website designer in Texas that doesn't have like a physical location or anything, maybe a blue wall behind him? You think he has to comply with accessibility <laughs> uh, standards?
1: Well, whether or not you have to comply, I mean, anybody can sue for any reason. Sure. So
0: It is America. You know,
1: so, right.
0: <laughs> All right. So, unfortunately, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is probably less of a problem in other places as far as like the ambulance chasing type um, type scenarios. Right. All right. Sander asked, where do you place the accessibility statement along with your terms? No, it
1: should be on its own page.
0: Okay. So link to it in your footer or how do, how oh, do you think yeah, people link to where it are it going to expect to see it?
1: They're going to expect to see it in the footer and on its own page. Yes.
0: All right. Uh, David said in here, I understand that some accessibility is better than none, but to what extent can those of us who are educated, but not certified, make assurances to our clients about a site's accessibility?
1: I'm not certified. I mean, so it depends. Like there's, there's organizations that'll say, well, we'll audit your site and then provide a certificate, but there's no like governing authority that's providing certificates. So you probably know more about accessibility than your clients. So you can, it's better to get started than to do nothing. Like you don't want analysis paralysis here. Sure. or paralysis analysis, whatever it's called. Um, you don't want to do that here. You just start doing something and just get into it. It's like, it's always going to be like a work in progress. So you don't have to, it's not like set it and done. So just start doing something, start taking small steps. That's fine. It's an ongoing process. Plus your client may not even have the budget to do all of it at one time, you know, so you can address things, address things in stages.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think part of that, too, is like um, I I struggle with the language that I use with clients, especially when it comes to like proposals or contracts or where I'm putting some kind of thing in writing about accessibility. I want to say something like accessibility is important to me and my agency. I'm gonna consider accessibility in everything that we're building, but I mm-hmm. can't guarantee that every decision I make will be the right one. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because I just don't mm-hmm. know enough about it. I'm gonna pay attention to it. I'm gonna try my honest best, but I don't know. And i am it's really hard to figure out how to word that, especially when you're putting it in writing.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can also have a limitation of liability clause. Like my limitation of liability clause is and this is for any job. It doesn't have to be an accessibility job. Any job, I limit my liability to 50% of the project fee. So if somebody tries to come after me for something, they're not getting more than 50% of the job fee, right? They have they have certain things that they have to do to check work before it ever gets printed or published or things like that, right? So it's not all, it's not like all on me, but... Um, so a good limitation of liability clause is important, but with the accessibility wording, I mean, yeah, I mean, if they have a if they have a legal requirement, I mean, you should, like WCAG two point one AA because they're following Section five hundred eight, for example. You mean you'd want to put that in there, but if you're not sure how to get it to get the site to that point, you're going to have to find some help to do that, you know. But what you're saying about, you know, and again, I'm not a lawyer, but what you're saying, it sounds, you know, if there's no legal requirement there, and you're saying what you're saying, I mean. You know that sounds fine to me but the other thing too is like sometimes clients you know may not bring it up so i have something yeah. in there that says like you know they have to tell me if something has to be accessible or not because if they don't bring it up i mean of course i'm bringing it up but you know i just have right. it in there as like a, a cya then I, they can't come after me you know
0: this this goes back to another uh, point where it's really important to have a, uh, a lawyer look at your contract because all of those things could really save you in the end. Um, all right, another question from Pic- Pixel Pumpkin. I like that. Uh, <laughs> Do you have a course appropriate for people who use builder tools like Elementor or Beaver Builder and have a somewhat limited access to what code is produced?
1: Well, my course covers a lot about code and I go into page builders a little bit. But what you even if you're not getting into the code, you would still learn about it. So you could assess like what the page builder is doing, like how it's coding things. But I mean, I, I if you have a, if you want to send me more information via email or something, I'm happy to talk to you, you know, more about that in detail, but um, there are going to be situations where you or someone else is going to have to get into the code probably.
0: How, how have you seen these tools like I think page builders is a big one because it, it affects so much of the site. Are they focusing more on accessibility? If you make, if you find problems with their software and make suggestions, are they responsive to these things or uh, not really? Or does it depend on who it is?
1: I guess it depends on who it is. I, I usually, my approach is to not use them. And that's because I don't want the client to muck up things that we've already done. So we'll use, a ton of advanced custom fields, because I literally want them to go into the, the back end on certain, like at least on certain types of pages, especially like custom page types where I've got a lot of different elements. And I just want them to be able to fill out fields and not be able to style them and touch touch any of that. So I give them very limited ability to muck up the site with using advanced custom fields.
0: <laughs> that's a, That's a good lesson right there. Um, Mark also asked, in Chrome's, uh, inspe- is Chrome's Inspector Accessibility Test accurate? Can we trust their recommendations or test results?
1: I mean, again, it's another automated tool. Oh, but the funny thing, so I mean, there's no, it's only going to catch so many things, but the funny thing about, this reminded me of something that happened um, recently, I went to check a, a site that was using an overlay and I wasn't able to even get to the developer tools on the site because of the overlay. Couldn't even get to that. Seems like seems like
0: <laughs> an oversight. Um, all right. So this one, I don't know if you'll answer this or not. Uh, mm-hmm. It doesn't bother me if you want to answer it, but, you know, mm-hmm. up to you. Uh, which form builders are better for accessibility? So I don't know if you want to call out some good ones, some bad ones, or however you want to answer that.
1: Um, form builders. Well, there is the, I know I know most people aren't using this one probably anymore, but um Contact Form 7 had a plugin with it that was called Accessible Defaults, and it would help with any kind of form that you created from that point on. So if you were to install that, you'd have to install both for it to affect the forms going forward. I have recently been using Fluent Forms and found that that to be really great.
0: Good. That's what I'm using. So good. Okay. okay. I, I've heard, I won't name names, but I've heard uh, other accessibility people talk about how bad the forms in Elementor are. Have you had any experience with those?
1: I don't have experience with those. Gotcha.
0: No. Okay. Uh, Josiah asked, what tools are you using to check accessibility? So of the automated tools, which we know won't mm-hmm. catch everything, uh, mm-hmm. which ones would you recommend we at least run through so we can get some kind of ideas?
1: Mm-hmm. Um I use Wave a lot. I use Wave a lot and um I also like a plugin called Totally. It's T O T A 1 1 Y cuz A 1 1 Y is the abbreviation for accessibility. Um Totally is good cuz I like that for uh like when I'm doing audits I have a huge checklist but and I only want to check certain things at a time. So with that one I can just turn on like and just check the setting for headings and just check the headings on the page like if they are in the proper order. And I can just see what they are without having to go into the code. So that can be helpful. Hmm. And I can just check like images without alt text. Um, it can also check color contrast, but it will just check them. Like what, as you go, like as you want to check them and then wave is going to give you everything all in one fell swoop, you know, um, Ax is good too. site improve, you know, but yeah, they're, they're automated tools. So, and some are going to catch things on a particular site that, other ones won't. So gotcha. there's not a, like necessarily consistency on them.
0: I, I I feel like as I learn more about all the facets of our business, performance, SEO, mm-hmm. accessibility, like the more you realize you just cannot do thousand dollar websites, $500 websites no. and do any of these things. Like, no. you know, the, the thing about this too, <laughs> the more you learn about we'll use accessibility because we're talking about accessibility today. The more you learn about that, the more you can educate your clients on it and the more your projects are gonna cost and the more money you're gonna make. So if if it is, uh-huh. I, I'm speaking for myself here, it is sometimes very frustrating. It is does give me anxiety, but if I can remember that, like, hey, if I keep making progress on this, it's gonna make not only my sites better, but it's gonna make me more money in the long run because I'm gonna have mm-hmm. some skills that not everybody has. So if you're money motivated like I am, maybe that's uh, <laughs> something to think about it as well. Um, all right, uh, one here- One more plugin. Yeah. I gotta
1: give a shout out to Amber Heinz plugin, Equalize Digital, their Accessibility Checker Pro plugin. It's really good. And it's very, I've used a lot of those and I like for page content and it is really easy to understand very yep. easy to understand.
0: That's huge too just being able to uh yes. to understand what's going on mm-hmm. is is huge. All <laughs> right, well I'll I'll give y'all one more chance here in the comments to leave a question uh, but I do want to Pass the microphone over to Colleen so she can tell us a little bit about uh, some things she's got coming up. I know you said you have a workshop coming up. Uh, you've mm-hmm. done a part, a podcast, and an article on accessibility overlays. Tell us a little bit more about your course. I'm just going to give the floor to you, uh, and I'll <laughs> field any more questions we have before we wrap this up.
1: Okay, I just wanted to make one more point though, because we've mentioned privacy policies a couple times, and what i understand is that uh the way that overlays interact with the browser they could potentially be violating privacy policies and i know we talk about that a lot Mm -hmm. in the group so i wanted to bring that up um yeah so next wednesday april 6th at noon eastern time i'm doing a free live workshop that is three easy ways to get into web accessibility because i know it can be very overwhelming And so this will help get you started. And I also cover three common mistakes that a lot of developers make when they get into web accessibility. I will also share how it's transformed my business as like, I was talking earlier about niching in it. So it's, it happened by accident, but (laughs) I will talk about that and all the opportunities that it can give you too. Like, you know, you're talking about money, Kyle. And it's like, this presents a lot of opportunity for MRR. So
0: Mm.
1: there's that too. Um, yeah. So, and then I have I have a course called Accessible Branding and Design, which is a non-technical course. So it's not it, it's not website specific either. So if you do logo design or publication design, any kind of document design or website design, but not web dev, then that is th- that would be a course for those people. And then the Foundations of Website Accessibility course is very technical and also design oriented. That is specific to web design and web development. And it's also not just building the accessible site, it's also selling it, how to talk about it with clients, how to like CYA in your contracts, well, how I do it, and then also how you can make money with it. Like in the beginning, at every single module, I talk about how to make money with it, different things you can do. And also, um, yeah, so talking about it with clients, how to sell it. Uh, also how to make sure the client will be, well, you can only do so much to ensure that they're going to, um, k- keep their content accessible, but as much as you can do to help them maintain that, the accessibility of their content. So I get into all of those things. Um, I, I will interject yeah. there. I just
0: have, mm-hmm. I have a couple, uh, of our table members who just got finished with your course. It's been one of their goals for the last few months is getting <laughs> through the course and they have said nothing but awesome things about it and how much it's oh, helped yeah. them. And, and like you so, said so in nice there, like you're... <laughs> you're coming at that course from the perspective of somebody who builds websites for customers mm-hmm. like the rest of us do. So mm-hmm. the the idea that you have information of, in there about like how you should position this, how you should sell it and things like that is a huge bonus to not only just understanding the fundamentals of what needs to be done, but like also how you can use this in, in a sense, you know, uh, to mm-hmm. help p- promote your business and take your business further, which is huge. So um, that heard yeah, nothing I but mean, excellent things.
1: Thanks. I, I mean, I have had someone not even, he didn't even finish the course. He started talking about accessibility and he won five projects.
0: You know, <laughs> you know it's one of those things too, like I've noticed this, uh, me and Matt have talked about this before. If you mm-hmm. bring up things like accessibility or performance stuff or even SEO stuff and whoever else this client is talking to, they're talking to another agency, that agency doesn't bring up those things. Well, you Mm -hmm. just planted seeds of doubt in your customer's mind about other people. So when you can bring up these things, it really does give you the ability to stand out.
1: Right, they're gonna be like, why did that person bring it up?
0: Right what are they hiding Mm -hmm. that's that's what i would go to immediately (laughs) what are they hiding or why don't they know about this yeah why don't they know about this Mm -hmm. um and i just posted a link also in here to your podcast episode about overlays so um let's see um the only other question i think not even really a question but somebody said to the point about um you know us having to charge so much more for projects uh somebody said absolutely and many small businesses are being completely priced out of the market and i think you know There's a problem in our industry that uh, anybody can be a web developer, just like an internet connection and you're qualified to be a web developer. And and the the way that problem manifests is the clients who come to us and say, well, I had so-and-so do my website and they totally, you know, screwed everything up. And we have to deal (laughs) with this all the time because there's such, Mm -hmm. you know, there's no barrier of entry. There's mm-hmm. also no barrier of entry for a business to say, hey, I'm going to have a website, right? So if they want to put in a physical physical location, they're going to have to mm-hmm. go to the city and get permits and things are going to have to be inspected. You can't just open up a business with uh, with no checks and balances, right? But because the internet's kind of the wild, wild west still, <laughs> uh, you can throw up a website with no, uh, no checks and balances on any of that. So I kind of see people being priced out of getting a website as a good thing like because we need to do these things more properly so maybe it's not time for you to have a website yet if you can't do a website website right you know so does that resonate with you at all
1: yeah i mean i was thinking more i was kind of thinking more along the lines of like when it comes to that kind of thing people in our space like people in the accessibility space there are people with tons of certifications and i've seen some of the people i've seen their work and it's I, you know, it's like, I feel like they ticked a box, but they didn't really understand accessibility from looking at what they did. So, you know, like certifications from that standpoint, from, for accessibility professionals, you know, that's, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother thing. So, you know, just because somebody says they're a web developer doesn't mean they're a good web developer, just because someone has a certification for anything doesn't mean that they're the best for it either, you know, so there's also that aspect to
0: it. Yeah, it's a it's interesting. There's there's so little oversight on our industry, you know, and so little qualifications to get into it. So it presents itself in in strange ways, especially the kinds of things you see clients come to you with. Mm-hmm. All right, so before we wrap this up, Colleen, is, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wish I would have asked you during this call?
1: You know, I don't.
0: I don't or I nailed it. So. I totally nailed it.
1: I think you nailed it yes. i think yeah i think that uh you had really good questions i do i could comment on one other thing though and Let's that is yeah uh, the national federation of the blind i don't know how many people may have heard of this but they accused accessibility of engaging in harmful practices because what they said was their board believed that accessibility was engaging in behavior that was harmful to the advancement of blind people in society so there's also that
0: yeah, okay. I wouldn't want to be on the other side of that.
1: Right. And so in the in the link to my podcast episode slash article, there's tons of links at the top in the show notes where I link to attorneys talking about accessible websites and, and issues there. Um, I link to other accessibility professionals talking about overlays. There's the overlay fact sheet, which urges website owners to stop using overlays. There's links to youtube videos from carl groves from tenon who's now with level access who has done qu- quite a bit in showing like demonstrating so if you want to go look at the if you look at some of those videos you will see him going through the overlays on sites and talking about some of the issues i was that i mentioned and also adrian roselli some of the links to his stuff because he's got a he's got an article called access will get you sued and he's been You know, he's so you're talking about the controversy earlier, you know, there's been a lot of controversy. That's (laughs) so that article is an interesting read, too. There's lots of things there to uh, to look at. I mean, the other thing to think about is that legal fines and fees, if if a claim gets brought against a client, a company, I mean, they can range anywhere from like a thousand to three hundred and fifty thousand. And that's that's legal fines and fees. That's not counting reputation damage. That's not including the cost of remediation, which again, is fixing the site and the documents on it. So there's a lot more at stake other than the legal fines and fees. And when you get sued, it doesn't mean now you're off the hook, you know? You still have to remediate the site. You still have to, well, you can't just rest and go, okay, well, no one else is gonna sue me. In the meantime, I've got six, the judge gave us six months to remediate the site. Somebody else could come along and make another claim you know, so there's a, there's a lot to think about with
0: that. Yeah. Well, now you put me back in stressed mode, so oh no. um, <laughs> you're good. Um, well, I, thank you so much for coming on and doing this. It's been a long time coming. I really appreciate you. You know, when we had this conversation in the group, uh, and I asked you to jump, uh, you know, jump on a call and talk about this, you were certainly willing to do it. And I just want to say thank you, uh, to you, to the other folks in our group who are accessibility minded, so Amber comes to mind. Uh, Bet uh-huh. Hannon's in the group talking about accessibility a lot. I just want to say thank y'all so much for bringing that perspective to our group because it's it's something that even well meaning, I might not think about accessibility aspects when I when I post about something or create something Mm -hmm. new or whatever it may be and I'm just really appreciative of y'all being there to say just poke your head and say something about accessibility (laughs) and bring that back up uh, to topic because I think a lot of us do have the like the right intentions about it but we forget Mm -hmm. about it often or we don't realize that this might have accessibility uh, you know implications. So I just want to thank y'all for, for being so willing to do that and encourage you to keep doing that. Uh, keep us on our toes about it. I really do appreciate that. Uh, I did leave links inside the chat here for, uh, all the ways you can reach out to Colleen and I'll make sure in the replay that, uh, we have all those well-documented. Um, and just thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And we'll have to do this again soon.
1: Yeah. I'm always happy to talk about accessibility stuff. (laughs) I really enjoy talking about it and, yeah. And it really, we need to get the word out more. So I'm, I really appreciate the opportunity and it was great to finally get to talk to you. I
0: know. Right. <laughs> awesome. Well, well, we'll do it again. I, I have an idea for like an, an accessibility round table that I just haven't got mm. put together yet, but yeah. uh, we'll definitely have to do that. All right. fantastic well like I said uh, I appreciate everybody coming being and being here and joining us today if you didn't hit the like button on this video it really really helps us out it's simple to do I hate asking it it's gross but it really does help uh, trying to get those YouTube numbers up and I got to please the uh, the YouTube God so I do appreciate that and uh, we'll have a discussion uh, dedicated to this uh, video inside the community so you can go to the admin forward slash group join our community if you're not already in there and join in on the conversation about this and And uh, we will catch you all on the next one. All right. (laughs) Bye-bye.
1: Bye. Thanks, Kyle.